0: Or a is available only that you no. there's no option. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining me. Every Sunday morning at 11 here on 887 FM WLUW. got an hour uninterrupted. Of your favorite small town kid Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz I know Sister Jean pretty well I think he's the sports editor there He is, oh, he's right? a sports he's editor great. Sports, right? yeah. sports columnist, sports writer uh, uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class Nick Schultz, who is a a rising star in the profession.
1: Our guy Nick Schultz covers Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have
0: to keep pinching myself (laughs) and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. You know what's funny is I stole that line about being a poor, starving college student and being physically here and mentally here from a high school teacher I had. My Aquish teacher used to say, Okay, you're physically here, but are you mentally here? And I can't even say that now because I'm not a poor, starving college student anymore. I'm now a college graduate. Welcome to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 FM, WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm your host, Nick Schultz, here with you for another hour. Again, no commercials. It's just me. But we do have... It's not all me today. I am interrupted a little bit because I'll have an interview to play with Bruce Miles, formerly of the Daily Herald, fellow Loyola alum. He's semi-retired, as he says. He's got a new book out. We talked for 25 minutes yesterday over Zoom, and that interview will play in a couple minutes here on WLUW. I hope everybody had a great week now that sports are back full blast. The NHL is back. The Blackhawks had a big win yesterday. I'll talk about that in the second half hour. The NBA is also back, minus the Bulls, which... Probably is a good thing that the Bulls aren't in it, but I'll talk about that a little more as well. We also have some Major League Baseball to talk about. Some of it I talk talk about with Bruce. I'll touch on it in the interview. But I'll also talk a little more because there were some things that happened after our interview that we didn't get to. Most notably, a quote from Rob Manfred. And typically, if I'm talking about a quote from Rob Manfred, this is not going to end well. That's usually not how this works. When Rob Manfred says something, I tend to disagree. And this one I disagree with big time. So I'll talk about that as well. But also, big news for the Illinois Fighting Illini. Can you believe we're talking about the Illini? Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn are coming back to Champaign. Those are two very important pieces to a team that won 21 games last year. What does this mean for the Illini going forward, assuming there's a college basketball season? Everything's still up in the air with COVID-19. We don't know if we're going to have a full college basketball season or not. But I'm planning as if we are for the sake of conversation. And that's why I'm going to break down what Io and Kofi coming back means for Brad Underwood and the Illini. If you want a full college basketball season, I will say this unashamed. Wear a mask. Wear a mask, and hopefully we can have a college basketball season on time. So I have a lot crammed into this show, but without further ado, I do want to get to my interview with Bruce Miles. We had an awesome conversation yesterday over Zoom for 25 minutes. I love talking to Bruce. He's a fellow Loyola alum. He told me he's also a founding member of WLUW, and it's been 41 years since he's appeared on the station. Well, he's coming back on now. Because I can't do this live, I had to pre-record the interview, so some things might sound outdated already because it was less than 24 hours ago. But I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. So here is Bruce Miles. And I'm thrilled to welcome in Bruce Miles to the program. Bruce is a fellow Loyola alum, and he is semi retired, as he says, after more than 20 years on the Cubs beat for the Daily Herald. And I've seen him at Loyola Athletics, The Athletic, and all kinds of stuff he's working on. He's got a new book out called The Phenon that we'll talk about. And Bruce will join me now. Bruce, how's semi retirement going, my friend?
1: I think you got to put the word semi in there and stress that over retirement. I've been busy, but it's been all good. Done some stuff for Loyola, a lot of things, and happy to do so. Uh, some things for The Athletic over the winter wintertime, uh, uh, some work for a group called Athletes Unlimited, who will be starting up a softball competition uh, this month in Rosemont, and uh, just finished a baseball-themed novel called The Phenom, which I wrote with a, a nice man from the north suburbs named Jack Schneiderman. Yeah, that's
0: very cool. Let's talk about that book. So I didn't even know you were working on it until you put a tweet out there. And I see is it available on Amazon now?
1: It is available on Amazon. It is available on Barnes and Noble in uh hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. So whatever your pleasure, whatever your budget, there's uh room there for, for everybody. Very cool. I have to get myself a copy and check it out. So what's this book about then? Okay, it was the brainchild of Jack Schneiderman and he is a lifelong Cubs fan, and he's been kind of mulling this project over for a number of years. And originally, it was going to be about a Cubs run to the World Series. But if you recall back, and I think it was 2016, the Cubs finally got there, and I think they won the World Series. So we changed it up a little bit, and we made it centered around the Cleveland Indians. But the phenom is a player who had been struggling with injuries, a top draft choice, struggling with injuries, and all of a sudden he has a breakout season. And uh, without any spoilers, he challenges some hallowed marks in the game. And uh, there's some social commentary in there as well. The, 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 he befriends a teammate who's openly gay. So it's, uh, there's a lot there, but it's a fun, breezy read. With me doing it, you know, it ain't going to be literature. So it's, it's, it's just a fun, <laughs> breezy read. It's a, a baseball season through the eyes of a baseball writer, kind of what I did for 22 years on the Cubs beat. Okay, so it's fiction, though. It's not non-fiction. Oh, it is fiction. It's a funny thing, because uh, I used to see Pat Hughes every day at Wrigley Field, the Cubs radio announcer. And one day he said to me, well, Bruce, have you ever written any fiction? And I said, Pat, every day. Or at least I've been accused of writing fiction every day. <laughs> so, no, this is a baseball-themed novel. It's certainly not the great American novel, but it's a lot of fun. I think baseball fans will like it. It's a fun Breezy Reed and my uh, uh, co-conspirator Jack Schneiderman was very kind to me and he actually put box scores in for every game I don't know how he did it but uh, his idea his concept and I helped him put the words to it and had a great time doing it
0: well that's very cool and like you said
1: Amazon Barnes and Noble and this isn't your first book though is it known. The aforementioned Pat Hughes and I uh, collaborated back in 2007 on a book called Harry Carey, Voice of the Fans, which I still think you can get at different places, and it was a companion piece to to a CD. Uh, Pat, over the years, has done a lot of CDs about baseball broadcasters from around the country, and this one was about Harry Carey, so it was a companion piece to that. Pat and I sat down for a number of sessions and starting in the spring of 07 and and worked on it for a couple of months. I came out later that year and did quite well. Another fun project. And uh, who knows? Who knows where we go from here with this book business?
0: Well, and you're semi-retired. You could write another book if you want. You've got that time, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I'll just uh, get cracking on one right now. But yeah, there's always one in the work. I think every sports writer always thinks that he or she has a book uh, in themselves, or two or three, and it's just a matter of sitting down and, you know, gathering your thoughts and having the discipline to do that, as you well know, being a writer yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've thought about some stuff that I could write, but I'm not sure. I mean, I've only been student journalist so far, but we'll see if anything comes up down the road. I like to write, and I've got enough time on my hands right now, so. <laughs>
1: yes, we all do, unfortunately. Let's hope that changes sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, well, well, we're talking about baseball, I want to talk about the game that's back now. Baseball's back. And I figure you've been on the beat for 22 years. We've got to talk about the game. So Joe Kelly was suspended for eight games this week for throwing at Astros hitters. And I don't know if you saw my tweet about it, but that was eight more games than the Astros players got for cheating. So what, what was your thoughts about that situation?
1: Yeah, and if you prorated over a 162-game season, I think somebody said that would have been around a 22-game suspension, which seems to me to be ridiculous. I I could have seen a game. I could have seen nothing. Right, exactly. The Astros who cheated, none of those players were suspended. This guy goes up and in in a little bit, taunts a player or two, and gets eight games in a shortened season. I think it's ridiculous. Maybe a game tops on that or maybe nothing at all. Yeah, I I can see some hard feelings there between the two teams, but I I don't agree at all with that kind of a suspension.
0: Yeah, I I was putting on my fan hat. For that one. And I figured you putting the reporter hat on would kind of see if I was overreacting, if I had a sound state of mind looking at that. Because I watched, I was at the bar that night watching that game. And it was it was actually fun to watch. I hate to say that about like watching guys get angry and the benches clear a little bit. But it was, it was kind of fun to watch because I'm not a fan of the Astros right now. And I'm sure I'm not in the minority there.
1: No, you're not. And Joe Kelly is kind of that kind of fun guy who likes to stir it up a little bit. In fact, in his bio in the media guide several years ago, he kind of made up a a fantasy thing where he was the descendant of Machine Gun Kelly, a gangster who was famous, I guess, in Chicago in the 20s during the whole Prohibition era. So Joe is a little bit out there. Joe Kelly is a little bit out there. But, uh, you know, the Astros had to expect something and maybe it won't be the last time that something like this happens. But again, eight games over a 60-game season, totally excessive.
0: Yeah, and he's appealing it, I saw, and I don't, do you think he's going to win the appeal or
1: if anything can change with that or you think it's going to stay? I eight think games? it'll get knocked down. A lot of times on these appeals, it gets cut in half sometimes or I've never seen them or I've rarely seen them totally overturned, but you do see them every now and then cut in half or cut by a third or whatever it might be. I, I fully expect that to happen here.
0: Well, things are going to get a little more complicated because there are some COVID-19 outbreaks in the clubhouses now. We've seen the Marlins, which that's the one I want to talk about, because I saw they blatantly broke protocol. And do you think baseball can even go on with all this going on?
1: It's getting harder and harder by the day because the time is compressed, as we know. Now the Cardinals have had an issue. Their series, you know, in Milwaukee this weekend has already been cut short by uh, COVID cases. The Phillies have indirectly been impacted by this, the Yankees. So we're looking at either a lot of makeup games, or we're looking at cutting seasons short for some teams. And with eight teams in each league in the playoffs, somebody is really going to get uh, you know, the short end of the stick here if they didn't play enough games, and that would have given them a chance to make the playoffs. So th- it's really, really a bad situation situation and and to me the fear is that we're running awfully close to shutting down the season before it really gets started because if any more teams come down with this or if any more games have to be postponed in the next week or the week after boy you're looking at a a very difficult situation to get a season and a postseason finished and it might be that a postseason goes well into November and maybe you've got to go to neutral sites so this is really bad at the start and uh, I'm not really optimistic about it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's getting kind of pessimistic about it, just with all this and the outbreaks, what teams could be next. And I know Rob Manford has said that the Players Association needs to, like, take responsibility. or This could be canceled by Monday. And through the negotiations, I always thought, like, MLB was kind of – they weren't in the best light during the negotiations. But I also think the Players association's kind of at fault for this because they were so against a bubble. Like, do you think bubbles would have helped – in this situation like we're seeing with the NBA
1: and NHL? I've heard both sides that I've heard people saying a bubble would not have worked because you have all these teams, but you had the two soccer leagues. And I don't want to forget them because MLS and the women's soccer league, the national women's soccer league, they both pulled it off using bubbles and had very successful. And in the case of MLS still having a very successful tournament, NBA, NHL seem in this early stage to be pulling it off. Baseball, do you go to a place where it's 115 in in, in Phoenix in and in a place where COVID is a hot spot? Do you go to Texas, same kind of deal, you have two dome stadiums there, you have two in Florida. So it might have been worth a shot. I don't know if they would have pulled it off, but it certainly looks like it in in no it would have been no worse than what they're doing now, which seems to be bordering on a disaster.
0: Mm-hmm. And I heard the Marlins broke protocol like going out to the hotel bar. And everything as well. I think they left like the hotel. They were going out on the town, and that's how this all started. And I personally feel like bubbles would have been an ideal situation. I know it was a non-starter with the Players Association. It seems like people kind of forget about that—that that the Players Association was the one against the bubble, and baseball proposed
1: it. You're looking at a longer season in baseball. In some ways, I don't blame them because it's a longer season, and you're away from your family and your kids for a lot longer time. So to make it work the way they wanted it. Everybody had to be on board and follow the rules. You know what this is on the Marlins part? It's just dumb. I mean, how hard is it to say, don't go in bars? Everybody knows that you don't go into crowded bars like they did. And if they did, shame on them. And, you know, uh, because you've seen if this was a contending team that did that, then you're really talking about at the top of the standings a, a real skewing of things. I know it's, quote-unquote, only the Marlins, but they have to play these other teams, and their games will affect the standings. But I just think it was very dumb, very irresponsible, and very selfish on the players' part, you know, if they broke protocol like has been reported.
0: Well, and you kind of hit on it. Like, this starts a chain. Like, they they exposed the Phillies. Well, the Phillies could expose this team, and this team, there's a chain that goes on. It feels like they kind of forgot about that. They were too worried about themselves that they forgot, no, you're impacting the whole league. When you're going out into crowded bars like i can tell you i've been back home in my hometown it's a small town albeit but i went out to the bars the other night for for my birthday i turned 22 so my friends took me out and the bars weren't that crowded so we were we were comfortable sitting in the bars but when they're crowded i don't want to be there
1: no and my daughter had her 21st birthday and we spent it in ohio where she goes to college same deal we were gonna sit outside at the bar, but there was nobody in there. There were a couple of guys at the bar, so we were well social distance in this bar slash restaurant. So we didn't have any problem with that. Yeah, when you crowd in to crowd a crowded bar, totally different story. Uh just just irresponsible. And you thought people would have would have known better. But again, you know, you're talking young guys, athletes, they seem invincible, and you know, it ain't gonna happen to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and as the, as the, I mean, I'm 22, like I said, I've, people my age are saying the same thing. And I, I mean, I personally think the Marlins, I think they should even lose a draft pick for this one. Because I mean, that, with the, what they did, I mean, they got in the group chat and said, we're going to play regardless of the guys that are tested positive. I think that's worthy
1: of losing a draft pick. Am I overreacting? Probably not. I don't know what the ramifications will be. But if so, it'd be a high draft pick. And the punishment for that would be pretty stiff since the Marlins are expected to finish down in the standings. They would get a high draft pick. So it would be a punishment that would uh, be pretty severe, whether they'll go that way or not. But I hadn't thought of it that way. But, you know, you don't know what MLB is thinking here, especially since one team may derail the whole season.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now I w- let's move a little closer to home here because, again, you were on the Cubs beat for 22 years. So we got to talk some Cubs. What about that bullpen?
1: (laughs) Let me tell you, I did this on the beat for 22 years. I helped out with coverage nine or 10 years before I became the beat writer. And what I said and what I say every year is that the most fickle and finicky part of every team, good or bad, is the bullpen. Every team has bullpen issues. This, though, seems to be off the charts. And I always said, too, that the, the bullpen that you start a season with is never the one that you end it with. In this case, in a compressed season, I don't know that there's a lot that they can do other than pick guys up off the scrap heap like they've done here in the last couple of days to try to plug in and plug out. I think what it means is you have to give a shorter leash to a guy like Kimberl who's been disastrous from last year up until this year. Everybody remembers that Cardinals game on the Saturday afternoon in September last year, what happened the other night and, and, and beyond that. So uh, if there were fans in the stands, the the booing would be off the charts. So even with a a lengthened bullpen like they have, uh, it's going to be an issue. And I'm not sure that there's a whole lot they can do about it. On the other hand, if your starting pitchers only have a limited amount of starts that they're going to make this season, maybe they can go a little bit longer once they get stretched out instead of five or six. Maybe the starters can go six or seven if they're having a good night, six, seven, or even eight, and maybe take some of the heat off of that bullpen. And then maybe somebody else would be needed to close other than Kimbrell if this isn't going to work out.
0: And I saw that David Ross went with Jeremy Jeffress in that game in Cincinnati when Kimbrell, it was, he went from, what was it? Eight to one to eight to seven. And the bases were loaded in the ninth. And it was good to feel something watching that game, getting into the game again. It's been a while, but seeing Jeremy Jeffress come in, he got the, he got the next two guys, boom, boom, ran a little help from Joey Votto getting out of the way of a hit by pitch and, I forget who was before him swung at ball four, but do you, do you think Jeremy Jeffers could see an increased role?
1: Oh yeah, I think anybody could. Uh, Jeffers has closing experience before in the major leagues. He was a pretty good closer at one time. These things have of uh, a way of, of um, kind of repeating themselves. And you know, I remember in years past, they picked up guys like Fernando Rodney and got some serviceable time out of him. There's no guy like a Chapman out there that I think is going to be available to them, a, a lockdown guy. So a lot of times over my experience with baseball, is a closer emerges. And it might be somebody that you had no idea who it was going to be. I go back to '03 when I covered that team. Nobody had heard of Joe Borowski before. They picked him up out of the Mexican League the year before. He was a middle innings guy. All of a sudden, he emerges as a closer and gets him all the way to the NLCS and did a great job all year. They may have to have that this year, whether it's Jeffress or whether it's somebody else who emerges. But I, I just don't think that Kimbrell's going to have a very long leash, nor can they afford to with him.
0: And I know he's their $16 million man, so I feel like that's part of the reason you're still seeing him a closer. But I, I, like you said, I think they got to go with a shortened leash. But well, you've got the expert opinion. I just played high school baseball. So... <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I don't think the manager figures money into that when he's making his decisions. I'm sure that he would talk with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and say, listen, we got a problem here. I'm going to go with somebody different. And I'm sure they'll say, that's fine. We'll worry about Kimbrell later. So it it plays into a degree, but once it gets down to crunch time and a playoff spot and a possible World Series berth is on the line, a manager is going to do anything and he's going to go with whoever is going to get him there to, to close out those ball games and the money, you know, we'll forget about that for right now.
0: Yeah. I would hope the manager wouldn't turn into that much of a puppet, but I mean, I feel like we've seen that occasionally with the younger managers, but on that topic, we're a week into the season here. What's your assessment, David Ross's manager?
1: I think it's been going okay. I don't know if that's a long enough time to judge, but I've seen mm-hmm. some of the press conferences. He seems to be saying and doing all of the right things. Uh, I, I know the big concern was, well, is he going to be friends with the players? And and I, I just think that's a totally misplaced concern. I saw him in the clubhouse for two years when he was a player. He would get on guys. Yeah, he's friends with guys. He's no Lester. But, you know, he's not afraid to take a, He took Lester out of the game with a no hitter going after five innings the other night. So I, I just don't think that's a problem at all. But I think that, you know, all the early signs are good. We just have to give it time. Right now, the answer is we don't know but he seems to have all of the characteristics. Catchers seem to make good managers. He's been a leader on the field. Uh, he knows the game, and, and he certainly seems to have um, taken the opportunity and run with it here. So we'll see. That's all we can do. Talking with Bruce Miles here on
0: WWFM 88.7 on the Sunday Sports Shootout with Nick Schultz. And I, I agree with you, Bruce. I think David Ross is doing a good job as manager so far. And like you said, it's a small sample size. But I think the one hiccup he had was in Cincinnati when he kept leaving Kimbrel in there when he couldn't find the strike zone. I thought that was the, the one big hiccup he's had so far.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's fair criticism, I think. You know, maybe he's looking at, this guy's my closer, I'm going to need him. Let's see if he can throw strikes. Let's see if we can build his confidence up a little bit. But that's definitely a, a fair point and a fair criticism. We'll see what happens. If it happens again, how he reacts to that, then we'll have a little bit better idea.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know the numbers aren't necessarily there, but I like Chris Bryan at leadoff. He's working the count a lot. I know he's, he's got, what, two, three hits total on the year, but he's seen a lot of pitches. I mean, what, what do you think of KB in the leadoff spot?
1: I think it's probably worth a try. I mean, Joe Madden tried that with Schwarber a couple of years ago in 17, and it didn't work out at all. And I don't know if that was the reason for Schwarber's struggles or not. We could probably write a book about that as long as we're on the topic of books. But I got to think... Bryant, when he's healthy, is not just a good player. He's an elite player. And what you want is you want your best hitters up top. Now, especially in a short season, to get as many at-bats as possible. So with a Bryant-Rizzo 1-2, and then you can work in anybody else depending on the matchups. But I don't think it's a bad idea at all since you don't have that Dexter Fowler guy or the high-on-base speed guy, whoever that might be. You don't have that guy. So it was going to be a... um, a hit and miss situation. Anyway, you might as well give this a shot.
0: I agree. I feel like it couldn't hurt throwing him in the leadoff spot because you, you miss a guy like Dexter Fowler. But if Brian can come around and set the tone at the top, who knows what can happen? Cause I know the leadoff spot was the biggest hole last year. And I know the numbers prove that too.
1: Yeah, it, they did certainly. And that was one thing I kept track of the beyond the base and so forth. They tried various guys there, uh, even Contreras got a game in it, leadoff, as I recall, last year. And that Rizzo, one
0: threw me for a tailspin when that happened. I
1: about threw my phone. Uh, yeah, that was always uh, the lineup. East does uh, really go. And I got after that. It was always one of those I'd post the lineup on Twitter and then duck. But, you know, you got the greatest <laughs> leadoff hitter of all time and Anthony Rizzo there, too. And he'll tell you that he's the greatest of all time and in a good way, I mean that, and uh, so he's also an option, so, you know, we'll see, but I, I think it, for right now, anyway, that Ross is committed to Bryant there.
0: Yeah, I agree, and before I let you go here, I see, are you wearing your a Loyola Ramblers shirt right now, I say Final I'm Four? Your
1: Final Four shirt, just for the occasion, and I will tell you something <laughs> else, you, you mentioned those call letters, WLUW, I was a founding staff member, now, I didn't found the station, but when the station opened in the fall of 78 I was there doing sports in a lot of ways like you are not quite as well because we weren't as sophisticated and didn't have all this technology but yeah so it's a it's a big Loyola day I try to uh wear it as much as I can I've got a couple of Final Four shirts and a uh, Final Four hat so it's uh you always try to flash that Rambler pride and there's a lot to be proud of isn't there with the um with the academics, with the athletics, with how well they do with great point average, with the the great coaches that you have and the the great sports information staff. So yeah, might as well flash that Rambler pride.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm wearing mine too, my just basic Loyola Ramblers 1870. But uh, since you're writing for the Loyola Athletics website, I got to ask you about the basketball team. If there's a season this year, obviously everything's up in the air with COVID-19. What do you think the Ramblers are going to do this year?
1: Man, I, I'm liking it. I was talking with uh, Ryan Haley of the Sports Information staff the other day, and he was like, fingers crossed that we have a season because he says we, we, we've got, you know, some good recruits and some guys coming back. Almost everybody is back. And it's just uh, one of those things, let's play this thing and find out. You know, we got to get over that hump in the MVC tournament. Uh, just a bad game, bad loss at the uh, tournament this year. Make the yeah. free throws, just saying. Free throws are free. I think somebody – Point that term free throws are free i'm going to look into whoever that was but then, <laughs> i don't know uh, who that was
0: but you let me know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah but but i'm liking it we got to my wife and i who's also an alum we got to three or four games last year we do the alumni but i like what they've got coming I, I like the kids that are coming back we'll see if cooper kafis can come back and hit those long range shots from the three-point land uh just a really really a lot of uh I think the the program has been on the upside. I know last year was kind of a transition year where we both talked to, at the start of the school year about, you know, how it was going to be that way. And you know, I thought this, the, the second half of the season last year, the team really came together. Well, just that unfortunate game in the NBC tournament, it would have nice been nice to get another shot at Bradley, but um, is what it is. And, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully this year they get to play some games number one and, and make that run to the tournament. I'd love to see it again.
0: Yeah, I would too, especially now as an alum. I'm not writing about them for the the Loyola Phoenix anymore. I could probably sit in the stands, or if I keep this blog going, I might be on press row. And since you're writing for the website, are you going to be on press row for any games? Are you going to be as a fan, assuming things get back to normal here down the road?
1: That's an interesting question. I have to talk with Mr. Burns and Mr. Moser and uh, Ryan Haley about that. Maybe they can find a seat, but I'll tell you what, having – Sort of retired from the business. It is kind of fun to be a fan, and the, over the last couple of years, we've gone to Loyola games, and I've been a fan, and it's kind of fun just to yell and uh, get frustrated when they're not doing well, and all that kind of thing. Because I have to say, the run to the Final Four was the most fun I have ever had as a sports fan. I agree. And I put that up. I was I'm old enough to be around from when the U.S. hockey team won in '80, the Miracle on Ice. That was the other one for me. But th- that Loyola run in '18 and I wasn't settled even when they went to the Final Four against Kansas State. <laughs> My wife was going, you could settle down, no, they've won, and I said, I'm still not convinced. But when they went to the Final Four, just getting there was, was such a thrill. So yeah, it's fun to be a fan.
0: Well, and here's something I've thought a lot about just from covering Loyola basketball for four years. I sat in the student section one game just to see how it was. I was struggling to be a fan again, just from covering the team. Do you mm-hmm. find yourself that way with the Cubs? Do you struggle to be a Cubs fan after writing about them?
1: Well, I'm, I'm all a Chicago fan. I, for a while, I was a Sox fan. For a while, I was both a uh, little kid Cubs fan. My parents were divided. My dad was a Sox fan. My mom was a Cubs fan, so we had both games on TV all the time. But, yeah, it is a little bit different uh, when, when you do that. I think what, the way I look at it now is the, there's guys on the team that I really like covering, and you kind of pull for them. but uh, you know, I'll see if that emotional investment in, in baseball teams comes back. I'm I'm having a good time following both teams now, the Cubs and the White Sox. I really like uh, Jason Benetti doing the Sox telecasts. Uh, Andy Mazur, who's done loyal basketball, is is the radio mm-hmm. guy now uh, after Ed Farmer's passing. So it it's fun to kind of be that way. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, now, with the we talk about the hockey, yeah, I'm all in on that. Uh, Fan-wise, with the Blackhawks, so we'll see how it goes with baseball. But right now, I think I'm like following guys that I like, Kyle Hendricks and you know Lester and those guys, and you know hoping that they do well. You know, being as much of a fan as I can.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of a good way to look at it too. I do that with especially Loyola teams as well. The guys I like covering, I always pull for them. Like now that I'm away from press row, I'll probably pull for them a little more. Been talking with Bruce
1: Miles on the show today. Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Oh, Nick, it was my pleasure, and let's do it again sometime down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we can talk in person instead of over Zoom next time. That would be tremendous. I I would love that. Anything to, one, get out of the house, and two, maybe come down uh, to one of the campuses and see some people. And I've already told the the guys at Loyola, when we can do it, I'm going to come down, I'm going to see soccer games, I'm going to see cross-country meets, I'm going to see volleyball games, I'm going to see basketball games. So I can't wait till we're able to do this in person.
0: Yeah, well, maybe I'll run into you at one of those. I hope so. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Bruce.
1: Take care, Nick.
0: That was Bruce Miles. That was so much fun. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I could talk to that guy all day. and I, I think I have. It was really tough keeping that to 25 minutes. And this interview will be available on the podcast, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And it was such a great discussion. Thanks again to Bruce for taking the time yesterday and – There were a couple things that broke after our conversation. This is less than 24 hours later. But this was before Chris Bryant was out with what is considered a COVID-19 system. It's gastrointestinal issues. And he tested negative for it. Today I just saw a report on my Twitter as we're on the air here during that interview. So he tested negative for it. He's fine. And this was also before a quote from Rob Manfred came out. And typically, if I'm quoting Rob Manford, I'm going to disagree with it because I've talked on the show that I disagree with Rob Manford on a lot of things. And this one in particular got under my skin. This tweet from Carl Ravitch over at ESPN. He's super dialed in. He's all over this stuff. Put this out there. Get a load of this. Quote, we are playing. The players need to be better. But I am not a quitter in general, and there is no reason to quit now. We have had to be fluid, but it is manageable. I don't think quitting is the right verbiage here. (sighs) I mean, this is a serious disease we're talking about. And to say you're not a quitter, like, that's great. I'm proud of you for not being a quitter, Commissioner Manfred. But it sounds like he's not putting the health and safety of the players at the forefront. And this has been a common debate through... The MLB restart through everything is health and safety of the players. And that that's just not a good look. But, hey, he's not a quitter. Good for you, Commissioner Manfred. And, I mean, I know I, I want the season to finish, too. But at the same time, you've got to look out for the players and the health and safety of the players. And as we sit here right now on August 2nd, I don't see baseball finishing its season. I don't, as much as I'd love to. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But again, I don't see that going through. I don't see it finishing up right now. And to say you're not going to quit, that rubbed me the wrong way. And I know it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way as well. And another thing I wanted to touch on that I talked about with Bruce was the Marlins. As you heard, the Miami Marlins... Got in their group chat after a few guys tested positive for COVID-19, and decided they were going to play a baseball game. And they play the Phillies with guys testing positive, and all of a sudden they had upward of 16 guys testing positive for COVID-19. And then games have been canceled or moved or postponed. I think I think they were postponed is the correct way to put it. But the Marlins still have not played a game. They are the earliest they could play, I guess, is tomorrow. And I wholeheartedly believe that they need to lose a draft pick over this because they deliberately broke protocol. Everyone's quick to go after Major League Baseball. I know I'm one of them. I go after Major League Baseball for a lot of things. There are a lot of things I disagree with Rob Manfred on. Like, a lot of things I disagree with Rob Manfred on. But, there, I mean, there were protocols. People make it seem like there weren't any protocols in place. But there were protocols in place, and the Marlins deliberately broke them. And if that if that's true, this was I saw it in the Philadelphia Inquirer. I think the Marlins need to lose a draft pick. I think I think Major League Baseball's got to lower the boom, which is exactly what they should have done with the Astros, when the players didn't get suspended, but Joe Kelly got eight games for taking matters into his own hands. But that's neither here nor there. Baseball is in a bad spot right now, with this COVID nineteen outbreak. The NBA and NHL are doing just fine in their bubbles. So far, they're doing fine. Baseball did not do a bubble because it was a non-starter with the Players Association, and here we are. We are just over a week into the season. Did anyone else think this was the longest first week of a season in the history of sports? It just feels like there's so much that happened in this first week, and it it, it feels like it's been way longer than that. But I don't know what's going to happen. I could be, we're sitting here, this is Sunday at 11.37 when I'm talking about this. And in 24 hours from now, the game could be shut down. Because Rob Manfred has said the earliest they could shut down would be Monday. Like, he'd be looking at shutting it down soon. If the players don't get smarter. And as Bruce and I talked about, that means if you go out, I would suggest they don't go out at all. But if they do maintain your distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, take all the precautions. And as I said, I I mean, Friday I I turned 22. And I went out to the bars with my friends. And the bars were not very packed. It was actually surprising because it was a Friday night, but they weren't very packed. We kept our distance and we were good. First thing I did when I got home was wash my hands. But you've got to take the proper precautions. You've got to take this seriously. Because these... The players like the Marlins, who are only worried about themselves, are part of the problem. They're part of the reason we're in the position we're in right now, where the numbers keep going higher and higher. And Illinois, at least, Illinois peaked and came down, and now it's starting to ramp back up. And there are states around the country that are on the break, like on the breaking point. And this is part of the reason why. It's because people like the Marlins go out and just worry about themselves. I'll get off my soapbox. But I, I'm, ver- I'm very unhappy with the Marlins right now. And I'm very unhappy with Major League Baseball at the moment as well. But, you know, Rob Banford's not a quitter. He's not a quitter. Just keep that in mind for reassurance. He's not a quitter. Oh, man. This can going to be a long few weeks if this keeps up. Again, it's only been a week, people. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. On a much lighter note... How about them Blackhawks?
1: <laughs> Last
0: week, I sat in this very spot and said the Blackhawks were not going to get through this series with Edmonton. And here we are now, and they won six to four yesterday, and they just kept scoring at will. That was the it was the best first period of hockey I've seen from the Blackhawks in probably probably four years, five years. It was incredible. Jonathan Taves and Dominic Kubalik took over. Kubalik had five points yesterday. Two goals, three assists. And Jonathan Taves had two goals, one assist. It was awesome. Next game is tomorrow night, Monday, August 3rd at 9.30 p.m. Central. It's a late one. And the series is kind of a double-edged sword. Before the game yesterday, I told my parents, the oh, to lose this series. They need to lose this series. Because if they lose the series, they have a 12.5% chance of getting the number one overall pick in the draft. Because when the lottery happened, Team E, quote-unquote, it's a placeholder team, landed the number one pick. And that placeholder team is someone who loses these qualifying rounds. And again, the odds are 12.5%. If the Hawks win this series, they will be in consideration for the number one pick. And given how the Blackhawks are, uh, they're, it's, they're in an interesting spot right now. They're trying to rebuild, it seems like, but they're also keeping the same pieces from the three Stanley Cups and Taves, Kane, Keith. And they're tr- it's like they're trying to rebuild with those guys still aging. I mean, Patrick Kane's still at the top of this game. Jonathan Taves is still solid. Duncan Keith is a light switch anymore, I feel like. But that's a topic for another time. How they're rebuilding. But what what matters here is you got a shot at the number one pick. I'm usually I I know I know I said I'd tank the Bulls a couple years ago. I told them to tank. I was all about the tank, mainly because I still don't think Jim Boylan's a winner. And he was he was a, he couldn't tank right. And Zion Williamson was the number one pick. Yeah, you you want to tank? And I, I'm currently rewatching The Last Dance. I watched episodes three and four last night. And I can't, I think it was episode 2 where it was talking about how management wanted the Bulls to tank in the 80s when Michael Jordan had got there, and he refused to tank. Is when he hurt his foot. And it kind of made the relationship rocky with management and Michael, and he refused to tank, and he ended up leading the Bulls to the playoffs with an under-500 record. In this case... The Hawks are in the playoffs. They're a playoff team. It'd be nice to get that number 1 pick. But as I said, I was pulling for the Hawks to lose the series. I found myself celebrating each and every goal yesterday. That's the thing with hockey is you get wrapped up in hockey and especially when they keep scoring like that. And you want your team to win, but also I want them to tank. Because I want the number one pick, and that would be a, it. Would just be a, a shot in the arm for this rebuild the Hawks are trying to do. If they got that top pick, but it's it's the playoffs. We'll see. The big thing against the Blackhawks in this series, and I guess there are a couple, but the biggest one is the Oilers have the top power play unit in the league, and the Hawks PK is mediocre at best. And you saw that on the first goal yesterday. Three minutes in, Oilers get a power play. They score right away. And that from there, I'm thinking, okay, this game's over. And then all of a sudden, the Hawks found their offense for the first time since Joel Quenville was coach. And that's why I'm talking about the double-edged sword. is because I... There are ways to beat the Edmonton Oilers. They are a beatable team. They're not. they the number five seed for a reason. The Hawks are a twelve seed, and so made the analogy. It felt like the NCAA tournament yesterday. It felt like a March Madness game with the twelve seed beating the five seed. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty fun analogy because it feels kind of like it's playoff hockey. Playoff hockey, anything can happen. That's what I love about it. But again, what with, with the Hawks I have to consider is if they win this series, okay, that's great. They win the series, they're moving on. But it's not necessarily a bad thing if they lose because they'll be they'll get a better draft pick. So it's a very weird spot to be in if you're the Hawks. If the number one pick in the draft was already taken, I'd be saying, okay, just go ahead, go win the series. Like, go win the series, go try to win a cup. I don't think they will, but let's go try to. Now, I'm sitting here going, I want them to tank, but I want them to win. And it's it's weird. I was kind of in the spot with the Bulls this past year. Actually, I guess I can still say this year, because the Bulls are out, but the season's still going on. Is I wanted them to win, but I was still in tank mode because of the way the team was made up and the coach and the front office and everything. And I, I feel like I keep flipping sides. I feel like I... One minute, I'll be advocating for tanking. The next minute, I will be telling them to win. And that's the joys of playoff hockey. And it's part of the reason I love the sport so much, and I I missed it a lot. I I I put out a tweet yesterday, and if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should, at Schultz underscore seven. I promise I'm funny. Or at least I try to be. I think I'm funny. That's enough that counts, right? And I put out a tweet that I said, I've never been so excited to do that hockey, playing off of the... Chance the Rapper Saturday Night Live skit when he's the hockey reporter. He, he has they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. And I actually I don't have that soundbite in my queue right now. i got to put that in there. But I, I said I've never been so excited to do that hockey. That was kind of misleading because the Hawks did play in three Stanley Cup finals and win three Cups when I was growing up and getting into hockey. But the point still stands. I was so excited to watch a hockey game yesterday. More excited than I thought I'd be, given how the Blackhawks did before the COVID-19 shutdown. And I'm watching the game, and I I felt transported back to the last time they were in the playoffs. Because it's a rush watching the Hawks in the playoffs, just because that's how how I grew up. My first season I watched hockey was 2009. 2010, they they won the first cut. So it's great to see the Hawks back in the playoffs again. Next game is tomorrow night, Monday, August 30, 9 30 p.m. It's a late game. I'm going to stay up past my bedtime to watch a little bit of it. Ooh, who am I kidding? I'll probably watch the whole game. I don't fall asleep until late. But it's going to be a really interesting series to see how Edmonton rebounds. Because the kicker to this whole thing is Edmonton's one of the bubbles. NHL's got two bubbles one in Edmonton, one in Toronto. Eastern Conference is in Toronto, Western Conference is in Edmonton. And the Hawks did this on to the Oilers on their home ice. So that's the inter- that's the interesting ripple of this whole thing. Granted, there's no real home ice advantage because there's no fans. But it's, it's still it's something kind of funny to think about. The other big news that came out this weekend, because I've got about 13 minutes left here, and I, I really want to talk about this. The Illinois Fighting Illini are now my pick, to make the NCAA tournament for the Big Ten, like automatic bid to win the tournament, because Iota Sumu and Kofi Coburn are back. They both declared for the NBA draft, as expected. Two of the top players. I want to. Say, I think. I think it was Kofi that was Big Ten Freshman of the Year. And Friday night, when I'm at the bar, I see Io Sumu is coming back. And I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. Well, then I see that Kofi Coburn's going to announce his decision Saturday afternoon. So I'm I'm checking Twitter. I've never really been an Illinois Fighting Illini fan. Again, I I grew up, I still live in Dwight, Illinois. I'm about, how far am I from Champaign? Got to be an hour-ish, give or take. I've only been there a couple times. So I I, And I've never really paid attention to the Illini. I always focused on, like, my parents are Illinois State graduates, so I watched the Redbirds and... Obviously going to Loyola Follow, Loyola-Missouri Valley Conference, DePaul. was never really big into Illini basketball and football. But here I was checking Twitter yesterday to see what Kofi Coburn did, and he's coming back. So now the Illini have two more starters coming back from last year's team that won 21 games. Likely would have made the NCAA tournament, if not for the COVID-19 shutdown. So now they got four of the five starters coming back. And this is on top of two top 50 recruits coming in. So all that time when Brad Underwood came to Illinois, and I was one of them, was kind of laughing at how they were doing. It, it was taking a while for that program to finally fit. And now, in 2020, we're talking about 2020-2021, we're talking NCAA Tournament and John Rothstein at CBS Sports Talk Final Four. Because this is a damn good roster that's coming back this year. And if Champagne is hype about basketball, or if they were hype about basketball already, they're going to be even more hype now. Because these two guys were centerpieces to that success last year. And I I honestly and truly think this team could be poised to make a run in the tournament. I'm not going to go as far as Rothstein and say Final Four. Because I'm old enough to remember when no one thought Loyola Chicago was going to make the NCAA tournament. And then they went down to San Antonio in the final four. So I don't make final four predictions this early. That's just because I'm superstitious like that. But man, this, this is going to be so fun down in Champaign-Urbana. I really hope college basketball goes in full this year. I hope everything settles down to the point where college basketball can play like, full non-com, full conference. I'm not sure that's going to happen because there's still a lot of unknowns with the virus out there. But it's still going to be... if they, Even if they play a conference-only schedule, I think the Illini can really, really, really succeed this year. And it's so awesome to care about Illinois basketball. Like I said, I never really paid attention, but I knew the history and I knew, like, I know it's big. Illinois basketball. If Illinois basketball is doing well, it's Illinois is the talk of the town. The talk of the state. And the fact that they're in this position now, that they can, they got an, on paper, this is an NCAA tournament team, no doubt. But last year, if you remember, forget who they were playing. I was watching the game In the Phoenix newsroom, because I was—that was when I was still there. We were still on campus, and I O got hurt. He hurt his leg uh, against Michigan. That was it. It was back in February, and he had no structural damage. But I want to say he missed the next game, and they looked like a completely different team. So having him back was already big. Like they can—he's leadership. He's talented. That's what they need. And having Kofi back as well. And I know there were people on Twitter saying he, he needed another year anyway. And this isn't abnormal for guys to test the draft and opt out. Just to get feedback on their game, et cetera, et cetera. This year was a little different because of everything going on with the pandemic. But if they did get any looks, and I'm not sure what they did. I haven't done much reading about what these guys did while they were in the draft and everything. But if they got some feedback on their games. And they're going to take a step up. I think the Illini are going to win more than 21 games. If they if they play a full schedule. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. Is who knows what's going to happen. Because Illinois looks good on paper. Loyola looks good on paper. I touched on it with Bruce. And I talked about it on the show. This could be the year. That. Loyola goes back to the dance and could make another run. Because they're bringing back everybody. They're bringing back everybody except Bruno Skokna. And Bruno didn't play as many minutes last year as people thought he would. But rotational players, everybody's coming back. Jalen Pipkin's transferred, but he wasn't necessarily a rotational player. He was kind of in and out of the rotation. But you've got two really good programs in Illinois that could be talking NCAA tournament, assuming college basketball goes. And I think that's really good to have, because having one really good team from Illinois is a good spot to be in for the state. Because Chicago is a pro sports town. Illinois is very pro sports heavy with, like, fandom. And now having two solid programs that are talking NCAA tournament College basketball is on the map in this state now. And I've seen all over my Twitter feed about Io and Kofi coming back. And I think there's a lot of hype, and it's it's much-deserved hype, around the Illini, and I think there's a lot of hype in Chicago, at least, about the Ramblers. This is going to be an awesome college basketball season, assuming it goes off. I keep putting that disclaimer in there because we don't know what's going to happen. Missouri Valley Conference came out this week and said they're delaying fall sports. Volleyball and soccer are playing conference schedules. I've seen the Big Ten is moving fall sports. Some conferences are canceling fall sports. Football sounds like it's still going to go off as planned. But with fall sports changing, winter sports aren't impacted right now, as we sit here August 2nd. But as we've seen with this virus, that could change in an hour. It could change in 24 hours. It can change in two weeks. It might not change at all. There are a couple vaccines going through trials right now. There's a lot of things that could happen by the time college basketball would start in November. I know players and coaches are back on campus and some places, if not all places, for voluntary workouts, for winter sports. So that's a sign that things could progress well and we could be back to quote-unquote normal again. But for right now, we got to think about all this all this hype that we're building up about these college basketball teams. Are we going to be Are we going to watch them? Are we going to be able to watch them? I'm guessing not in person. But I know I'm no expert. I mean, I graduated with a journalism degree and a sports management minor. I am in no way qualified to predict how this virus is going to go. So I'm throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it sticks. But I know people are optimistic about what could happen in the next few months, assuming you wear a mask. Just wear a mask. Just do it. I mean, mean, you got to be at the point. like if If you can help this thing a little bit, do it. Help out. And wearing a mask could be a huge step to having college basketball this year. I give John Rothstein a lot of crap. I give him a hard time about his Twitter. But he put out a tweet today, like, just wear a mask and this could be better. And this will get better. Eventually it will. You just got to do your part, because I want to watch Illini basketball this year. I want to watch Loyola basketball this year. I'll even watch DePaul basketball at this point. I'll say, it. I, I want to watch college basketball. And as, if things keep trending like they are now, there might not be a college basketball season at least non conference. We might have to wait till January. We all have to do our part so we can see these teams that we're hyping up so much. And the big thing also is just stay safe. And I keep telling, every time I see somebody, I'm like, hey, stay safe, stay healthy. That's what it's all about at this point. Because we're, what, four months into this thing, coming up on five months into this. And we got to find the light at the end of the tunnel somehow. And there will be light at the end of the tunnel. We just got to get there. I got three minutes left here. And this is seriously, I'm still amazed at how well that interview went with Bruce Miles. I'm still kind of basking in how how much fun that was. And I'm going to have more of that. I'm going to have more guests on. And because this is, because I'm working remote, I can't have guests on with me. I'm the only one who can talk on the air. So all these interviews will be pre-recorded. And i will probably do like a Friday or Saturday to minimize how much news can break. Because we're in an endless 24-hour news cycle here. There's stuff breaking it all the time. And I'm going to have more guests on. And it's not just going to be baseball. It's not just going to be Loyola Connections. It's going to be talking NBA. It's going to be talking baseball. We're going to be talking maybe some hockey. Definitely some college basketball, given my background the last four years. And as I've talked about on the show a lot. And it'll be interesting to see what I'm talking about next week because, as we sit here now, there are six baseball teams waiting to restart their season because there's been COVID-19 outbreaks. The Blackhawks, big win over Edmonton, I'm still in shock. And we'll see what goes, how the series goes. And the NBA is back in full force down in Orlando in the bubble. And I'm... Well, Sylvie, at Waddle and Sylvie at ESPN 1000, put out a tweet yesterday about how great a day it was for Chicago sports. The Hawks won, Cubs won, Sox won. I know the Sky won as well. That wasn't his tweet, but I wanted to mention that. But Jim Boylan's still the coach of the Bulls. And he said, and I quote, guess you can't have it all. But again, a lot can change in a week. And who knows, the Cubs could have a new closer by then because remember David Ross did not commit to Craig Kimbrell as closer yesterday. In discussions with the media, he said he wants to talk to Craig a little more. So th- th- it could be an interesting show next week. I have not booked a guest yet, but I'm hoping to have something lined up here toward the end of the week. And keep an eye on my Twitter at Nick Schultz underscore seven. Again, please follow me. I- I'd appreciate that. And my time is about up, so I want to thank again Bruce Miles for joining me. Again, he was a founding member of W.W. in 1979. I guess he was the news director WLT when he was a student at Loyola. So really great conversation with him. That's all the time I have. Stay safe, stay healthy, and wear a mask. I will talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.